right. God, I just thank you for um, the gifting of teaching and giving me this teaching tonight and using me. And I just pray that you speak through me and it's exactly what you want it to be. Nothing more, nothing less. Amen. So if you guys will um, read the verses throughout and um, I typically just read in ESV. So like if you could also read that in ESV, like it'd be awesome. If you have a paper Bible, like and it's not ESV, like don't worry about it. I'm not going to like flip out or anything. It's just more of like, that's what I read this in when I was preparing. So like, that's what I'm going to be like used to hearing. So if someone will just per, um, read the first verse, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that broke, that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. The Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall, they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So, with this whole teaching, um, as you can already kind of tell, like, we got a lot of Leviticus on here and just like Old Testament verses, but also like New Testament. So a big, um, a big thing that I've kind of been going through right now is trying to understand like the Old Testament because like it's like two thirds of our Bible pretty much, right? And <laughs> that's a lot of it and it's confusing and it's dry in a lot of it too. And so also with the fact that like we're in like the New Testament still. So it's like, it makes more sense to like focus on the New Testament and all of that. However, like we still have the Old Testament and like that's what brought in the New Testament and like the reason for that. So I've been trying to understand like, how do they connect though? Like, is it just like, oh, that's just what happened. Like, it's just more like history knowledge. Like that's all that we need to take from it. Or is like there more to that that connects to how we live now. So like in that passage, it talks about how like he's establishing, he's going to establish a new covenant and the law is not gonna be written on our heart. It's not just like the list, basically, I guess what I think of is like how the tablets, like with the 10 commandments, like it's not just gonna be a list of rules anymore that they have to follow. That like basically the heart of the law is now like on their heart. So with that in mind, um, I went through Leviticus of like reading it. And then I also listened to a podcast by, um, what's it called, Naked Bible Podcast with Dr. Michael Heiser. And he basically walked through like every single chapter of Leviticus and explained honestly like what it means, um, basically looking at it from the like Israelites perspective of like their, what they would have viewed these rules to be, not from like our perspective of just kind of like looking back like what we think it means to be. And so with all of that, it brought me a lot of clarity and realizing honestly how much the Old Testament and the New Testament actually connect a lot. And like, it's like the same like themes and like heart again, like Jeremiah talks about is um, throughout it. 
So I want to start in Leviticus, and then we'll get how that applies like in the New Testament after. So Leviticus 8, 30 through 36. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments, and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings, as I commanded saying, Aaron and his son shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire. And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed. For it will take seven days, seven days to ordain you. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so you do not die. For so, for so I have commanded, and Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses. So what's happening in this passage is um, God told Moses, take Aaron and his sons and basically anoint them to be like the priests over the people. And so all of that was basically, um, so like consecrated, consecrating, is that how you, is that, okay. (laughs) Um, I feel like I always have it with like the ED, so I was like, I don't know if that's right. So consecrating them um, is basically to like make them holy. And so they're going through, honestly, basically like purification process in order to be the priests over, um, over God's people. Um, So that's kind of what's happening in that. And then if someone will read Leviticus 21, th- 1 through 15, it kind of continues on with like that priesthood. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the son of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean to the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister, who is near to him because she has had no husband. For her he may make himself unclean, He shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people, and so profane himself. They shall not make bald patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body. They shall be holy to their God, and not profane the name of of their God. For they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled, neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. He shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. The priest who is chief among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. He shall not go into any dead bodies, nor make himself unclean, even for his father or for his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or or a divorced woman, or a woman who has been defiled, or a prostitute. These he shall not marry. 
but he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people, that he may not profane his offspring among his people, for I am the Lord who sanctifies him. Okay, so obviously, like, that's a lot of rules, and, like, honestly, a lot of it is kind of, a lot of Leviticus is a lot of, like, repetition, honestly. Like, if I was to write Leviticus, I would have been just like, all right, here's, like, the blanket statement, and, like, this applies to animals or, like, whatever. Like, I don't know. There's, like, the whole chapter of basically it's, like, don't sleep with any family member, like, besides, like, your, like, significant other. But it, like, goes through, like, each person. It's, like, how they're related and, like, all of that. And I'm, like, can't we, like, this could have been, like, a sentence and they did, like, a whole, like, chapter of it. But anyways, so it's a lot of it. But all of that, again, kind of applies to what in Leviticus 8, like, they're being consecrated for. Like, they're being set apart. They're being um, being made holy in order to give, like, God the food or offerings to atone for the people's sins of, while they can't, like, Jesus did, completely take away all of them. Um, and that's kind of, like, different teaching, honestly, that we could go into. But, like, they're still atoning for the people's sins and for their own sins um, over the people. And basically being kind of like that first hand, like to God for the people um, and covering over them and keeping God's space. So like at that time, often it was like in this time, it was the um, kind of like the tabernacle and like with all the tents and stuff. And so like that was like God's like space, like the sacred space. And so like they're making sure like that space continues to stay holy and pure. Um, a lot of the sacrifices that are given are honestly for that of basically kind of like that purification and like making back into clean. Um, and so with all of that in mind, um, go to Leviticus 9, 22 through 24. So basically that kind of completes the um, like the ordination process of Aaron and his sons becoming the priesthood now. Um, and so basically they gave the sacrifice not just for themselves, but then also again for the people for that. And God takes it and he consumes their sacrifice. Um, however, right after that, um, so there's not like any verses in between this, like this is the next chapter, but I wanted to like kind of have a moment. So in this next chapter, um, basically right after they're ordained is when this happens. So Leviticus 10, 1 through 11. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put, it in, put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. The fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. 
And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come here, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. Yeah. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Okay. So, like, right after they complete this whole ordination, like, seven days. Um, like, I know we didn't read, like, the whole process, but, like, in, like, Leviticus 8, like, actually several sacrifices, like, were made and, like, explained the process. And then they complete it. And then right after, two of the sons just give a sacrifice or a set of fire. So, like, the sensor is basically what you just put into the sand. I had to look that up because I was like, I don't know what that is. Um, so literally they just like put incense in, in that and just lit it up. Um, sorry, that sounded like, anyways, <laughs> um, that's fair. Yeah. But they did it and God didn't want it. It wasn't ordained by him to give that sacrifice at that time. And so as a result of it, like God killed them, like straight up, he killed them. And right before this, like, in like the Leviticus 9, like when they finished that, like people, like the people fell like on their faces of just like, honestly kind of like how surprised they were and like how powerful and like, and how powerful God is that he just consumed that sacrifice. Like it wasn't like there was like that fire and like it just like burned up, like the fire came about and consumed it. So in that same way, like the fire appeared here. And what's key honestly in this is because it was part of the priesthood and then the priesthood's family that has to now deal this deal with this and obviously like they want to mourn it but Moses is very explicit of like no you can't just do what all the other people do you can't just tear your cloth like tear your clothes which like that's a common like Jewish tradition of like in mourning they would just like tear clothes and like wear a sackcloth and so they're saying don't do this like you are still an anointed priesthood you need to remain holy like, even though this happened, like, they defiled my sanctuary by doing this. You cannot continue to do this, like, like basically redeem the sanctuary. And in this, though, I want to say, like, um, basically God says, like, allow the people to bewail, like, that per- verse in there. And um, will you read that, Kylie, if you still have it up? And so basically, like, I didn't know what that meant in English, so, like, how to look that one up, too. And basically, it's kind of just, like, a regret, honestly. You can correct me on that, Kylie, if you want. I'm looking at the Greek, and it's, like, to weep or wail. Like, 
Okay. Like literally, like <laughs> verbally, like <laughs> well. Okay. So like in that same way, like God isn't just like don't act in the way like people like typically mourn. But He's saying like let your people mourn this because it is a loss. And like also it's like like I think too like in the English wise of it like regretting like what they did because like you done messed up. <laughs> um, but God isn't just being like mean to them of like, okay, you messed up, like, you can't, like, they messed up, they're part of your people, like, you can't mourn that loss, like, and I think that's important, like, in this, of he's saying, yes, absolutely mourn it, but also remain holy as you mourn this loss, Um, and then as it goes on, like, that end passage of, it's key of saying, like, you need to keep, like, you're set apart, you need to not look like common people or unclean people. Like you are pure, you're holy, and you're clean. Um, so walk in that manner, not just like amongst your people, but then also setting apart from all the other like tribes that are around you. And so then if we'll go to Isaiah 1, 10 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of the Lord. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. Rough. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So in that, the beginning is the people are giving. So it's not to Sodom and Gomorrah. Like God is like calling them the um, Judea, I believe. Or is that the beginning of the whole chapter? Will you check? So concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Judah. So, so okay. So Judah and Israel. I was a chemistry major. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So it was to Judah and Israel, whether they're within each other or not. It was that's who there was to. So it wasn't to like Sodom and Gomorrah. It was or to Gomorrah, whatever. Anyways, but he's comparing him to him. He's calling him that. And again, he's saying, like, in the same way how those two brothers gave a sacrifice that God didn't didn't ask for, he didn't ordain for, 
they're basically doing this. They're just giving him sacrifices and all of that. And at first, when I was like reading this passage, I was like so focused like on the people. I was like, okay, they're like giving these prayers, they're giving all these sacrifices and all this. But I realized I had like such a like New Testament mindset on that though, because like in this time, like we're the ones that like actively can anytime pray to God or like give a sacrifice to God. Like we're not doing the same sacrifices as like animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. But like in that same way, like sacrifice something to God in that. But I realized like they still had like a priesthood like set up during that time. So it's not just like the people are offering these things to God like alone, like the priests are allowing these like useless basically sacrifices and prayers to be given to God. And so they're not staying clean. They're not being set apart. They're just basically kind of like going through the motions, if you will, and just doing whatever they want. And the priests aren't keeping God's place and his name holy when that's exactly what they're called to do. So with all of that in mind, and with, again, that Jeremiah passage, like the heart of that of the new covenant now is written, the law is written on our heart. So with that idea of the priesthood in the Old Testament, I want to kind of transition now into the New Testament of what does that look like for us now? And why do we even care? Because like, unless you're Catholic, like don't really deal with priests. You know what I mean? And temples, like we don't really like have that. So what does that look for us now? Um, so someone will read 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, and then you can pause, and then verses 9 through 10 also. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're now the royal priesthood. Like, that's ours now. And we're the ones that are supposed to be making these sacrifices that are acceptable to God. So, like, not like the brothers and not like Judah and Israel in that Isaiah passage, but, like, that's our responsibility now to be like the heart of the royal priesthood. So verses 9 through 10 now. But you are chosen... Ooh, okay. <laughs> but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into the into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, so like with all of that, um, I think two key things is, again, in Old Testament time, God's people were like the Israelites. Like there was that chosen priest, or chosen people and priesthood, but specifically people. And... Those were the ones that were set apart. And so that's why, like, in New Testament, we have, like, Jew and, um, Jew and Greek or Jew and Gentile. And so I think, honestly, two ways that I've looked at this First Peter verse is, one, like, you can look at it as, like, one, the Jews, like, a lot of them kind of just, like, went on their own way, but now, like, basically kind of, like, inheriting back to God. But in that, but also, like, we as Gentiles, like, also are now God's people. Like we didn't used to be, but now we are. So we're not only just God's people, but we also are this royal priesthood in that same way. Does that make sense? Okay, so then with that, 
So we're God's royal priesthood, now in the New Testament. And then 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Okay, so in this context, this is about like the body as a whole, like the body of Christ. And so we are now God's temple. It's not like the tabernacle back then of like only in one place, only like certain people could go in. But like now we're the royal priesthood who's keeping over that temple, but we also are God's temple. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So, again, that theme of, like, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, the context of this is very much, like, an individualistic aspect. And, like, honestly, kind of, like, your whole physical nature, but also, like, the spirit, like that's holding the spirit, like God's spirit in you. And so we have both of God's temple is both like your being that's holding the Holy Spirit. So his spirit in like kind of the same way, like the center of like the tabernacle intent was like, there was like pretty much like layers, like as you went in and like basically the farther like you went in was like, I don't want to call it like the more holier it was like, that's okay. <laughs> I just want to like make sure like, that wasn't like wrong language. So thank you. So it was like more holy, like as you like most holy place was the absolute like furthest you went in there. So kind of like in that same way, like we have, I just hit the mic. Sorry guys. Um, we have the God spirit within us. So that's the one temple, but then altogether we're like basically kind of like that whole temple, like as that tent was too. Um, so the temple individually and as a priesthood or as a body, excuse me, but then we're also the priesthood. So that means two things. We're watching over our individual body. If we're remaining pure and holy, living that out, um, keeping it sacred for God. And also as a whole body of Christ, if we're keeping that pure and holy for God. So then with that, as we keep going, I've kind of how do we kind of do that? And are we doing that well? And like, what does all of that look like? Um, so 1 Peter 1, 14 through 19. Like that of the land without 
I think I think that was the end. Was that 19? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then will someone just go ahead also and read Second Timothy 1, 8 through 10? like when they were anointed and ordained to be the priesthood, they have to be consecrated. They have to be made holy. So like, again, we're not just that, but like we were also made holy through Christ's death and we're able to walk in a manner that's holy and through Christ's um, death and resurrection, like that has been made manifest now. So we're able to walk in that holiness um, and not just be like, undefiled, like, unclean people as we once were before. Um, so then James 5, 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So, with this basically responsibility we have, this holiness and this like, I don't know, kind of like power, if you will, too, of in the same way the priests in the Old Testament basically gave the sacrifices to God, atoned for them. In the same way now in the New Testament, like by praying for one another, like a person can be healed, a person's sins can be forgiven. Um, and we have like that same power and responsibility in watching over the body as the temple, as the priest did back in the Old Testament. Um, so then continuing on kind of in that of like what we can do with that, what we have responsibility-wise, Titus 2, 7 through 8, and 11 through 15. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Yeah, you can go ahead. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to be, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope that the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Awesome. Thank you. So in that, we have basically the responsibility like to teach, to exhort people, to rebuke people. Um, we've been made pure now um, because of Jesus' sacrifice, as we've talked about in the past, the other verses. Um, so honestly, kind of in that same part of how, in the Isaiah passage, how those unlawful sacrifices were being given, how God was just displeased with the people of how they were acting. We have the responsibility, as the priest honestly should have acted on, in that we have the responsibility to rebuke people, to, um, to teach them, to show them, like, hey, it's not just you can do whatever you want. It's not just, just give sacrifices for the sake of sacrifices or just because you feel like doing it. And so in that nature, oftentimes what I see within Christianity right now is we just kind of do whatever we want. We just say, okay, you know, um, I'll just go to church. Everybody is welcome. Um, we have the best, like, lights and sound, the best kids ministry, so that way we can get the most people. And we just don't completely care a lot of really what people are doing. We don't do much about it. Um, but that's not what our call is. If we're truly able to be the priesthood now, which we're ordained to do, and if we're God's temple, then it shouldn't just be whatever people want. We need to be continued to keep God's space sacred and holy. So keeping kind of like that in mind, let's go to 2 Peter 2, 1 through 15. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, in, brought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them by extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteousness, Lot, greatly distressed, if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of, de of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels thought, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage for the one, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count in pleasure to revel in, their, in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, revealing, rebelling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of 
Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. So what Peter is saying and like warning is basically saying, hey, like false teachers are going to come. People are coming and sneaking into the church and not speaking the gospel in truth or in fullness, or they're just doing it for their own gain. They're doing it for greed. They're twisting it. Watch out for them. They're not okay. Like, do not let them. They're not, they're not part of our people, basically. And Jonathan, you actually don't have to read it again, but part of it, what he calls them, he goes, they're like animals with splot, or a, a blemish and a, like a, what does it say, spot? Okay. Um, so like, thank you, blots and blemishes. Um, so he calls them, they're like animals, like that have blots and blemishes. So that concept of a blot and blemish was huge throughout Leviticus. So I'm going to look at two specific passages of it. Um, Leviticus 3, verse 1. So one, animals that had a blemish or any kind of like disformity or anything like that, like was not allowed to be sacrificed to God. Not because like the animal wasn't good or wasn't good for food or anything, but God's space was supposed to be kept absolutely sacred and holy. So in the same way now, Leviticus 2, or excuse me, Leviticus 21, 16 through 23. throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near, a man blind or lame, or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand, or a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man with a defect in his sight, or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest, who has a blemish shall come near to offer the Lord's food offerings. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy things, but he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar, because he has a blemish that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So the idea of a blot and blemish, like, this was about the royal priesthood now, of like, if you, you cannot be basically like a priest offering up all the sacrifices, going into the most holy place, if you have any kind of blemish, any kind of deformity. <laughs> and in that nature, it's not just because God is like, oh, I hate people with like deformities or like, you're not perfect. Like, you're not my people anymore. Like they still allowed them to eat like the bread, like eat that sacrifices of like both, like the most holiest and the less holiest. That sounds awful, <laughs> like basically. Um, it wasn't that, but it was that concept of like, you're not complete, like, completely, like, perfect in that nature, if you will. You don't look that. You and God's space is supposed to kept completely pure and holy and clean. And so he didn't want things that weren't like that were a little off being sacrificed or being given up to him. So you good, huh? Incomplete. That's a great word. Thank you. Incomplete. He didn't want something that was incomplete. Um, giving sacrifices, um, basically like going into his most holiest space, 
and also not um, being offered up to him like the animal-wise. So <laughs> looking back at that first Peter verse, Peter is calling these people that are false teachers, like false prophets, just people that aren't really after God's heart. They're after their own, their own gain, whatever the heck they want. They just want to do what they want, get whoever they can want, they can get into their own crowd, you know? Have the best worship, service, lights, all of that. Whoever can get you in, then that's what they want. He's calling them people that have blemish. If that same heart of the law is what we should supposed to be carrying now, then as royal priests, if that's what we're called to do now, we can't have a blemish. And we don't want a blemish offered up into our temple either. So why are we not still keeping track of or being aware of these people? Why are we still just letting them in and just kind of do what they want? And so that kind of happens in 1 Corinthians. Happens a lot in 1 Corinthians, but that's a different story. But specifically in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Even among pagans. Like, that's, that's some rough stuff right there. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For, for though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Sorry. Was that eight? Yeah, I thought it would stop at five. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, leavens the whole lump, cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, this guy is sleeping with either his stepmother or his mother. Probably his stepmother, but like, either way, that's just not okay. And, like, if you also go back to Leviticus, like, that whole passage that I was talking about earlier that could be summed up, hey, just don't sleep with your family members unless it's your, like, significant other. Like, he done messed up on that one. Like, that's what he's doing. And Paul is saying, this has been, like, reported to me. Like, this is happening in your church. Like, pagans don't even, like, allow this to happen. And you're just, know what's happening, and you're just letting it happen. Like, you're just letting the guy just come to church and continue to, like, sleep with his stepmother or mother and not saying anything about it. Like, what are you doing? And so, like, the end of that, I'm basically saying, like, 
a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. 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 Jeez. Okay. <laughs> Bread. Um, <laughs> he's saying, like, if you continue to allow this man to, one, continue to sleep with his stepmother, but one, if, even if you address it to him and he's going to still do it, like, you can't continue to let him be a part of your, like, be in the temple. Like, in both of those passages, like, the individual one was, like, straight up, like, when he said, you're a temple of the, like, the Holy Spirit, that was in reference to sexual immorality. I think he's uh, acting a little bit in that, if you will, <laughs> you know? But the other one also is about the whole body. So, one, he's not keeping track of himself, keeping his temple holy and sacred, but they're also not keeping the temple, the body of Christ, holy either. And so Paul's saying, stop. Like, you need to address it, and you need to, honestly, give him up to Satan. So hopefully, like, he'll realize that, hey, I shouldn't be acting this. Like, I'm not acting in a holy manner. I'm not acting clean and set apart. I'm not, <laughs> I'm barely even, like, <laughs> like, looking. I don't even, like, look like the pagans in this. Like, they, they wouldn't even allow this either. Like, I'm completely off from looking and representing who God is. And so he said, stop, don't do that. You have to get rid of this person. But so often in church, again, we just don't care. We know things are happening, and we just let it slide. We go, oh, it's whatever. Like, if we address it, it'll make people mad. We'll lose our numbers in congregation. You know what I mean? Like, even if we're just, like, honest of, like, hey, like, we might have a little bit of debt. Like, can you all, like, help out of it? Like, you'll lose numbers over that. People just flip out. But, like, that's not okay. God wants his space to remain holy. But so often, again, we just think, okay, well, whatever. It's just fine. Or, like, we'll lose our numbers. Whatever. So in that kind of concept, Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Can you talk louder? to please a man, I would no longer be a servant of Christ. So if we're trying to please man, then are we a servant of Christ? Thank you. <laughs> so in Corinthians, they were more displeasing man in that. Just letting it go, you know? It's just easier to do that anyways. Uh, just whatever. He'll just have to make atonement for, or not atonement, he'll just have to make, um, what? Sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I wanted that word, but he'll have to um, own up to his own actions, like the day of judgment. Um, okay. 
But Paul talks, like at the beginning of it, he goes, people are preaching a different gospel. Not that there actually is one, but they're distorting the gospel that was actually shown to you. And like that same way, the people who he called animals, and, or that was Peter, excuse me. Peter called animals and that had blemishes and stuff that are false teachers. They're distorting the gospel too. And so we have these people that are distorting the gospel and we can either let them in, just let them do whatever the heck they want. But if we do that, we're just pleasing man. We're not a servant of Christ. If we're not a servant of Christ, definitely not a priesthood. And we're defiling God's sanctuary. First Corinthians 5, 9-13 I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So this happens right after, like, mom was stepbrother, like there wasn't a gap. We just went to Galatians real quick before we finish the story. Um, but Paul says, don't associate with people that bear my name falsely, wrong. He says, don't even eat with them. But he goes, careful. I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about people in the world that, you know, sleep with their stepmothers or <laughs> are just greedy and things like that. He says, don't worry, like, don't focus on them. Judge the people that are in your body. Judge the people that claim my name or Jesus' name, not Paul's name. Um, that claim the name of God, that are supposed to be representing that. Judge them. Don't just let them do whatever they want. If they're not acting in that holiness, in that cleanness, you have to address it. And if they're just going to say, screw you, I don't care, I'm going to keep doing this, you stop. You avoid them. You don't eat with them. And definitely, you don't let them around your temple. But again, the church likes to do it the other way. We like to judge the world. We like to say, oh, how can those people be sleeping with their stepmothers? How can, they, how can they be watching porn? How can they not, how can they be going in drinking their sorrows away about their problems and all of that? How can they do all of these things? But they're not held up to that standard. They're not held up to the standard of the heart of being a priesthood, of being a temple. They're just them. They're just doing what they want. Absolutely. Do we want them to have a better life, to not act in those ways? Absolutely. Because there's freedom in that. There's life in Christ. But they're not bearing the name of Christ. They don't have that responsibility. But we do. The body of Christ does. And that's what Paul's trying to get at. Focus on the people that are actually in your temple. Focus on the temple and keep it whole. 
Titus 1, 10 through 16. And then will someone go ahead and read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7? So in all of those passages, we have people who are basically just distorting the gospel, who are just doing what they want, who's going after their own gain. In that Timothy verse, they're going after other people to just come along with them to basically convince them of the falseness, um, to take advantage of them. And they look like godly people. They fit the criteria. You know, maybe they probably go to church on Sunday, Wednesday night Bible study, read their Bible maybe, they say they pray. But what are they actually doing with it? Is it just for show? Because Jesus talked about how the Pharisees would go and pray on street corners and they got the reward right there. It wasn't actually really to pray to God to get any revelation or anything. It was just to show people, hey, look, I'm a godly person. And Paul says, have nothing to do with those people. Avoid them. (coughs) But we just let them in. We just say, we just appease man. We go, everyone's welcome here. This is such a welcoming place. Bring all your things. I'm not saying we can't love people and welcome people, but like we can't just let things pass. We can't just defile God's sanctuary. We can't just let the guys sleeping with a stepmother just keep chilling in the pews. So then Matthew 7, 21 through 23.
will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did you not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They look like godly people. Like, I don't know, every time I read that that thing, I'm like, dang, like, they're doing a lot more than people that I see as Christians right now. Like, they're actually, like, casting out demons, like, healing people and all that. Like, but they, Jesus says, leave. Like, no, I don't even know who you are. But they have that form of godliness. But they denied of the power of Christ. It was about their self-gain. I think oftentimes, I didn't realize this for a while, that, you know, not everybody, not everybody's going to get into heaven. And, like, I think oftentimes we just try to make it seem like, oh, as long as you say you're a Christian, like, you're set. But, like, what is that worth? If we don't do anything about it, if we don't actually act in that holiness, in that cleanness, keeping watch over God's temple and keeping it pure and holy, if we just let whoever we want bear the name of Christ and defile it, what are we doing? Second Timothy 4, 2 through 4. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That was the end of the sentence, sorry. Okay, you're good. <laughs> Um, so in that, people are going to have itching ears. They're going to try to look for things that suit them, that please them, make them feel good. The church that has really good music or really good kids program or the Bible study that just makes them feel warm and fuzzy and just makes them check mark off that, hey, look, I went to a Bible study. I'm a good Christian. There's people that are going to be seeking after that, just searching for people that will just please them. But in that same way, we have to be careful that we're not just trying to please those itching ears either. We can't be the people with the itching ears, but we also can't be the people that are fulfilling those people with the itching ears. Because if we're pleasing man, then we're no longer a servant of Christ. So to end it all, let's end with 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 26. But God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. 
Now in a great house there is not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honorable use, set apart a holy set apart as holy, useful in the mass useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently injure evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. So we are those vessels. We've been made holy, and we've been made to do a good work for God. We're called to teach, we're called to rebuke, act in faith and love and peace, and work with those who are, are also pursuing God after that pure heart. The other people who are just submitting to the enemy's work, who are just doing his work for him, God's still leaving an opportunity for repentance for them. They might come along eventually, they might not. But God knows God knows who's God knows who's his people, who his people are. And in that were his people who were bought with a price, who are now made his royal priesthood to watch over the body of temple as our individual bodies that holds the Holy Spirit, but also as the whole body of Christ together. And so with that, I think we're probably going to break out into small groups with that. But kind of think about that of where are you right now, like in your faith? Are you just trying to more please man, more kind of like check off that box? And like oftentimes like that's just what we've been shown. So like don't like beat yourself up on that. But there is like a call to more in that. But also, not only like where are you, but now like what are you like, what are you going towards? What are we supposed to like, what are you supposed to do like individually, but also like together, like as you talk, like as a group, like do you have people in your life that Maybe you shouldn't be avoiding being with that have that form of godliness but are denying of its power and you're more just focusing on them. Are we keeping track or are we keeping um, God's temple holy both in your individual but also as the body of Christ? And so just kind of like reflect on that and like talk about kind of where you're at and where you're going to go from here.